Okay, here we are again. I want to explore um, a subject with you. And as usual, I kind of go on my journey. I want to get in the end to Hanukkah. We'll get there because we're about to get to Hanukkah in, in uh, real life soon. But on the way, we'll stop at Pesach and at Sukkot because everything <laughs> has something to teach us about everything else. That's the way Jewish intertextuality works. That's the way probably that our universe works. Um, and so I want to start at um, a piece of the Torah that describes the crossing of the Red Sea. And when the people of Israel left Egypt, went through the sea, they, the Torah describes that they sang a song um, in chapter 15 of Exodus. And in that song, one of the things they say is, Ze eli ve'anvehu, avi This is my God, and I will glorify him. Something like that. Um, the God of my ancestors, I will um, elevate God. Okay. Um, but that word that I paused on, that I stumbled on, anvehu, uh, is an invitation. It's a bit uh, cryptic. So it's an invitation to, um, to learn from. Okay, and that's what rabbis like to do. So there's a few explanations of this word anvehu, um, and they're given one after the other in uh, in the Talmud. Um, okay, I'll go in the order that the Talmud does. Uh, it goes like this: Ze elive anvehu. This word nave is similar to, to the word noi, which means uh, beauty. Okay, so what does it mean to beautify God? It means um, one should beautify themselves before God with mitzvot. How so? One should build a beautiful sukkah and have a beautiful lulav and blow a beautiful shofar, and have beautiful tzitzit, and write a beautiful Torah with beautiful ink, with a beautiful quill by a, <laughs> an expert scribe, it doesn't say a beautiful scribe, and wrap the whole Torah in beautiful fabric. Okay, so th the way this explanation understands uh, what it means to, to beautify God is to use beautiful things in the service of God. Okay, so all the objects of mitzvah have to have this, I think, aesthetic beauty to them. Yeah, it's not just a, a ritual object. It has to be beautiful. Okay. Um, We'll come back to that in a second, but I want to look at the second explanation, which is, I think, much more radical. Abba Shaul, another ancient rabbi, says, Ve'anvehu means 
be similar to God. Okay? The way um, Rashi understands this is Anvehu sounds like Anivahu, me and him. When it says, this is my God, me and him. Me and God. So what, what does it mean? Uh, Abba Sha'ul says, you have to be similar to God. Just as he is compassionate and merciful, so too should you be compassionate and merciful. And that's kind of radical. That's saying, it's a different thing. It's, it's not just the objects have to be beautiful in order to approach God in the, in the correct way. But worship of God has to be in the image of God, right? We have this idea that mankind was created in the image of God. So worshiping God means being godly, right? And uh, kind of a mixing of attributes, being, being like God in the world. And the examples that he gives is um, compassion and mercy. Right? In the same way that God is compassionate and merciful, we should also be compassionate and merciful. And that's it's a, it's a kind of a radical idea. It's kind of, we don't know anything about God, right? But from what we think we know, from maybe even our definition of God, is that we take, um, we say everything in the universe was created by God. But some things manifest God more, and it depends on the tradition, right? It depends almost on, on the definition. Um, but we, we could say, we could use Kabbalistic images, but we could say like, um, um, kindness, justice, beauty, these are all attributes of God. So anything which is kind or just, or beautiful in the world is more godly right and that's kind of given here in two different ways the first opinion is things should be beautiful in order to manifest God in the world more and the second opinion is actions should manifest God in the world more and together that's kind of a, it's kind of a, a very deep <laughs> uh, radical message of of how to be uh, how to be a religious person how to be a, how to be a human uh, in this world is to bring God into the world that's what God wants God wants to be in the world and how do we how does God come into the world through uh, more and more of the things that we we associate uh, with godliness is even uh, if, if you have the time, look at the source sheet, because there's sources I won't bring here uh, in this recorded shiur, but there's some amazing things, some Hasidic things of uh, what that means to, to act like God. Um, I want to jump a little bit to the holiday of Sukkot, okay? Because this idea of anvehu and uh, me and him, right, it comes up again in, in Sukkot. Um, there's, uh, there's this practice at Sukkot, or there was in the temple, of walking around the altar in the temple, um, you know, with the lulav and, and um, praying and 
saying the Hoshana. You know, you'd say to God, Anna Shemoshiana, please God, save us, please God, save us, uh, give us success. And one of the formulations there, or one of the suggestions for what should be said, Rabbi Yehuda says that we should say, Ani veho hoshiana. Ani veho, save us. And what does Ani veho mean? Right? I'll just add also, one of, the, one of the things that was said at the end of the festival, they would shout also this very strange phrase, Yofi lecha mizbeach, yofi lecha mizbeach. Um, what a beautiful altar, what a beautiful altar. You are beautiful altar. <laughs> it's, like, it's weird, but it, beauty, aesthetic beauty comes into uh, this festival too. And it's, again, this idea of ani veho, um, which also it's explained as ani vehu, me and him. These phrases also come up in, in Sukkot. Um, it's very weird. What does Ani Veho mean? One of, the exam- one of the explanations, again, I'm going to Rashi, is that God has 72 names. And one of them is Veho. And one of them is Ani. Okay? So Ani, meaning me. Me, I. That's a name of God. Every time you say a sentence in the first person, you're using a name of God, right? I, I don't know. You say maybe in, in translation that works too. If you say, uh, "I am happy," right? There's something divine in that uh, sentence. Um, comes up all over the place, right? We say at the end of the Shema, "Ani Adonai Elohechem." I am God, I am Hashem, you are God. You're saying, Ani, I am. It's crazy to say it. Uh, So Ani is a name of God. Um, And if you don't believe me, (laughs) um, there's a story of Hillel, again, one of these ancient rabbis, um, at one of the festivals at the end of Sukkot, called uh, the Simchat Beit HaShoeva, he would he would come and he would like rejoice at this at this festival at this water festival, and he would say all sorts of things. He would say, "Im anikan hakolkan," if I am here, everything is here, and if I am not here, who is here? Okay, so Hillel would say, "If I am here, everything is here." And there's different ways of, of, of understanding this. You could say he's talking about himself, right? There's kind of a sense of, uh, of like deep presence. Right? If I am here, if I'm, if I'm really, really here, nothing is missing. If I bring all of myself into this place, in the temple, I'm connected to everything. And if I'm not here, then nothing happened. Okay? But there's a nif- different way of, of understanding this. Um, that he's talking in the name of God. Right? The God is saying, If I am here, everything is here. 
Um, and he would also say, he said lots of things, right? He said, uh, to the place that I love, there my feet take me. Place I love, my feet take me there. That's kind of why he went there. Um, and, but that's probably talking about him, right? When he says, I need there, he's talking about himself. But then he says, um, if you come to my house, I will come to your house. And if you do not come to my house, I will not come to your house. As it says, uh, in every place where my name is mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Right? And just because of the verse there, it sounds like that's really, that's God talking. So the first one is ambiguous. The second one, it sounds like Ani means him, Hillel. And the third one, it sounds like Ani means God. And this ambiguity, this mixing of Ani, me, and and God, uh, is also it's kind of this crazy fusion. And, and like I would say, or like I said before, this kind of manifestation of godliness in the world. Ani vehu. And vehu. Okay? Now, let's come back to that um, uh, first opinion there, right? How, how, do you, um, how do you glorify God? It's through using beautiful things in mitzvot. Okay? Or um, making the mitzvot wonderful. And the, the expression for this is hidur mitzvah. Uh, uh, um, I don't know how to say this, like a, a glorification of the mitzvah, a, a beautification of the mitzvah. And that comes up very much uh, so in, in Hanukkah, where it's kind of um, strange. It says we have three ways or three different levels of how to observe the commandment of Hanukkah. Right? There's a, the, we know there's something to do with lighting candles, but how is that done? Okay, so the Talmud says, Mitzvat Chanukah, Ner Ish Uveto. The mitzvah of Chanukah is one candle for a person and their household. One candle each night. Right? Only one candle has to be lit. Those who are more mehudal, more seek to, to do more, seek to have more glory in the in the mitzvah, they light one candle for each person in the house. Okay, so if there's uh, five people in the house, they light five candles. There's a bit of um, discussion how that exactly works out is it five candles each night or is it uh five on the first night say if there's five people in the house five on the first night uh 10 on the second night 15 on the third night that's uh, that's discussed by later rabbis but the third uh, uh way of doing it is um there's, there's different exam there's different opinions um I'll just jump to, to the most common one. Um, on the first night, you light one candle. On the second, two. On the third, three. On the th fourth, four. On the fifth, five, and so on. Okay, so it kind of goes up each night. Um, so these are kind of, this is like 
The glorification of the glorification. This is the most wonderful way of doing the mitzvah, is to increase throughout the festival of Hanukkah. And uh, that in itself is a bit surprising, right? Because, I mean, lots of mitzvot, there's ways of doing them better and ways of doing them more minimally. But here it's very explicit. And if you look around you on how Hanukkah is actually practiced today, almost everyone does that third level, right? So that it, that kind of very special, very wonderful super wonderful way of doing the mitzvah is becomes the normal um, and that's surprising why because we have um, two concepts in in how to um, how to do mitzvot <laughs> how to make mitzvot uh, um, I don't know, like an important part of our life and there's limitations uh, set on the, mitz- the mitzvot. Okay, I'll just bring two quotations here. On the source sheet, you have the, the links. Um, Rabbi Zera says that on in Hidor Mitzvah, in, in the beautification of mitzvah, one should spend up to one-third more than the cost of a standard item. Right? So if like, uh, I don't know, if uh, an etrog costs um, 30 euros, yeah? so if you want to buy a beautiful etrog, spend up to 40 euros. Right? That's the kind of, that's your limitation on how, how much to invest in beautification of a mitzvah. And that's surprising because actually if you look at the, the commandment of Hanukkah, we're asked to do a bit more than a third, right? And let's look at one other limitation on mitzvot. Um, it says, "Hamimbazbez ali bazbez yoter michomesh." This is originally about giving charity, but uh, it's it's used in halachic sources to talk about all mitzvot. And it says, when when you're investing in a mitzvah, never spend more than one fifth of your of your money, of your savings, on mitzvot, right? So if you only have a thousand euros in your in your bank account, then you're, you have one thousand euros, sorry, if you have a thousand euros in your bank account, you have um, one-fifth, so two hundred euros to spend on, on mitzvot, right? If you have to buy uh, <laughs> tefillin, you have two hundred euros to spend on that. Yeah, um, and so that that should be a limitation for everything, including Hanukkah, right? But in the laws of Hanukkah, uh, we have Maimonides says, if you have nothing to eat, say you're you're living on the streets, you're living off charity, what should you do in order to um, fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah? It says you should beg from door to door, or even sell your clothes in order to have enough uh, money to buy oil and wicks to, to light a Hanukkah candle. To light that, maybe that first Hanukkah candle. Right? So that's a lot more than what's required by, by Halakha. It's, uh, it's a lot more than that one-fifth 
you have to go above and beyond what you're usually asked to do. And I think if, if we come back to this idea of mitzvot being a beautification, um, Hanukkah is the most, uh, one of the most visible um, aesthetic commandments there, right? Where do you put the Hanukkah? It should be either by the door or at the window. Why? Because other people have to see it. There's this idea of publicizing the miracle. So the, mir- the, the commandment is done for other people, not for yourself. It has to be for, for other people. And neither who, right? Um, maybe we also, on Hanukkah at least, or maybe throughout our life, we have to be these beacons of light on Hanukkah, um, manifesting godliness through compassion and mercy and justice and beauty. And that's how we beautify mitzvot, that's how we live mitzvot, and that's how we bring uh, God and godliness into this world. So thank you very much. And again, as usual, if you have questions, um, come and ask me. And I'd like to dedicate this shiur to, um, to Rose, to, who asked me a question about hidur mitzvah, about beautifying mitzvot.